Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. The surprise is how often as Christians, uh, we can often do the right thing. We could do a lot for God, but struggle with being with him, with walking with him day to day. And uh, as we worked last week, we looked at the life of Enoch. And we said, well, what is a working definition for walking with God? And we looked at the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and I have a definition for you there on the screen. This is what we uh, came up with. We looked at it, and it talked about um, uh, uh, Enoch walking with God and pleasing God, that to walk, the God, walk with God is pleasing him and drawing near to him and believing. And so we use that as a definition that to walk with God means to actively live with the goal of pleasing God by drawing near to God and believing him as we continually seek him by faith. That was our definition. That's great. That's our pursuit. That's our goal every day is I wake up this day and my, my heart, my goal, my chief desire is to please the Lord. My prayer is that's, that's your prayer as well. But now we have to think about, well, what happens when you don't do that? There will be days you don't please God. What is, what is it when you do the thing that doesn't please him? What about when you haven't been drawing near to God or you haven't been believing him and you haven't been seeking him by faith? What do you do when you failed? Here's what I believe this morning is that Ishel isn't the only person that God is calling to some great task. I believe there's a room full of men and women that God is calling. And as you listen now, some of you know that fire is burning in your heart. It's been there for years. But what's gotten in the way? It could be some failure or besetting sin that often gets in the way. And maybe you sit here and you're like, God has caught me, but I can't get over this thing. And maybe you sit here this morning and there's a variety of things. Maybe your thing is you've had a hidden sin of pornography that nobody knows about or some form of self-pleasure. And you look good on the outside and you smile, but inside you're like, man, I know I'm quenching the spirit. I'm not pleasing God, but I can't stop struggling. Maybe you're single and you're trying to save yourself for marriage and honor the Lord, but it's been hard trying to wait on God's timing for Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, and you have fallen into sexual sin with someone lately and you feel filthy. Maybe there's a substance that you just can't seem to shake or you have some hidden struggle, but either way, you're in a place where you feel spiritually dry. And what I found is the longer you've been walking with Jesus, the easier it is to hide it. Seems like when you just start walking with Jesus, you're like, man, this is what I'm struggling with. Boom. But the longer you walk with Jesus, the easier it is to dress it up on the outside while you struggle on the inside. And so you do the right things. You show up to church on Sunday. You tithe. You go to group. You serve. But inside, you have not felt his presence in a long time. If that's you, this message is just for you this morning, especially if you feel like you're in a ditch, you're in a spiritual slump. And maybe some of you are like, man, Pastor John, I've been there for two years, and I don't know how I slid this far. I want to say to you this morning that how you view Jesus how you view God when you are at your lowest moment impacts everything. How you view him, what you think he thinks about you when you are in the ditch, when you are at your lowest moment, it impacts your prayer life. It impacts what you will do this week. It imp impacts how you see yourself, how you see him, how you see people, how you see your future, 
How you view Jesus when you are at your lowest moment impacts everything. And my prayer today is that you will see his heart and you will never question his heart again. And if you feel like you are in a pit, that today would be the day that you will be restored and you can walk in the calling that he has for you. You don't have to sit there on the sideline like, I know God has called this for me, but he's called me, but I've been waiting. What you waiting for, man? Well, as soon as I can get over this thing, then I can start serving him again. The title of this morning's message is Walking with God Through Failure. In fact, the focus is really going to be on God walking with us through our failures. And my prayer is that you would see the heart of Christ this morning and be so encouraged. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord, I ask for you to do what your word says only you can do. I ask in this moment that you would do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ask or think. That in this moment, God, you would show every soul listening your heart. And I pray you would communicate through me in a way that reflects your heart purely. And I pray that restoration would flood across this room. And that the weary head that looks good on the outside, but he or she is struggling inside, will feel comforted today and restored today and would walk in the calling that you have for them. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have a copy of God's word, turn with me to John chapter 21, the gospel of John chapter 21. We will actually get to this point in the gospel of Mark, God willing, if the Lord tarries, we're alive in here next year when we pick up Mark. But this account is only found in John. And what we have here, what we want to look at is Jesus restoring Peter after he failed. I want to paint the picture of what's going on. Jesus has been walking with Peter for three years virtually every single day. Think about who you do life with every day. Jesus has been with Peter every single day. And we get close to the cross, and Peter is like, Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll serve you. I know everybody else will leave you. And at Jesus' lowest point, Peter denies him three times. The scripture says on the third time, he began to swear and curse. So not only did he deny him, but when they was like, no, you, 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 you got the accent. We know we've seen you with Jesus. He said, I don't bleepity bleep bleeping know him. Think about that, y'all. Like it's easy. I know we laugh and you're like, man, Peter said that, but think about this. Think about how many times Jesus has loved on you. Think about how patient he's been with you. How many times did they sit around a campfire and laugh and talk? Remember the story where Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law who was dying. And yet when Jesus is at his lowest moment, Peter is like, I don't bleeping know him. And it says that he locked eyes with Jesus, the rooster crowed, and he went away and wept bitterly. Jesus goes to the cross by himself. All his disciples that he was doing life with deserted him. Everybody bounced. He goes to the cross. 
He is raised from the dead, and he shows himself to them twice, real quick. And they were so in awe that they didn't believe. They was like, man, is this really you? And he says at one point, give me something to eat. Give me a fish. I'm hungry. So you can see this is really me. And he disappears. And then here we are right, right now at the third account where Jesus shows himself to the disciples. It's awkward because really they ain't really talk about what happened. And the last time they really were together truly, they all left him. And here we pick up in John 21. So think about Peter. Put yourself in Peter's shoes, and maybe you are in Peter's shoes because you're in that ditch. Intimacy is, hasn't been the same. Haven't been feeling connected to him like I used to be back when I was on fire for him back then. Here's what Peter learns. Here's the first thing if you're taking notes. A change in intimacy doesn't mean a change in position. A change in intimacy doesn't mean a change in position. Look with me in verse 1. After this, this is John writing, the Apostle John. I'm reading from the ESV translation. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. That's the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. Pause. Pause real quick. Notice what John says. He says this is the third time that Jesus is revealing himself, which is encouraging because it shows that if you've fallen into sin, that doesn't mean that God stops revealing himself to you. He's still talking to you if you're listening. But notice the importance. It says in verse 1, and he revealed himself in this way. Why emphasize that? And after they failed Jesus, John's like, after we all failed him, especially Peter, I want you to see how he responded to us. Verse 2, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Verse 3, they're all, not all 12 are together, but a couple of them are together. And it says, Simon Peter, Peter says, I'm going fishing. What was Peter doing before he met Jesus? He's a fisherman. It's interesting that oftentimes when we fall into sin in a spiritual slump, we're tempted to go back to our former ways and our old patterns shows that you stopped watching because you wanted to walk with the Lord. You felt convicted about and songs that she was like, Man, I shouldn't really listen to that. It's quenching the spirit. And it seems that when you end up in the ditch or you end up in sin, somehow, some way you back to watching that show again, listening to that song again, laughing at that video on YouTube again, entertaining yourself with that junk again. Simon Peter says, I'm going fishing. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's you this morning, Pastor John. I don't know. I'm, I'm back to doing the things that I gave up for Christ. How did I get here? Now, I want to remind you that Peter's lowest moment is public. His failure is public. Think about this. How would you feel if your greatest failure was connected to the greatest event in human history and published in the top-selling book of all time? That everybody, no matter what language you speak, you know about the Bible, you know that Peter fell. That he denied Christ. Oh, that's the man that rejected Jesus. 
How would you feel? Think about it this morning. How would you feel if your sin, your weakness was public? Could you even get up here on Sunday morning to in front of the church and say, hey, y'all, this is how I sinned this week. Let me confess. Or would you hide in shame? Too often as Christians, we love to celebrate one another's failures. Oh, she fell. He fell. Did you hear what happened with them? Peter fell. And so often when we see people struggle, we celebrate their failures. That's what she get. That's what he get. Proverbs 24, 18 says this, do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn away his anger from him. Don't rejoice when your enemy falls because the enemy today could be a brother or sister tomorrow. And don't forget that you were an enemy of the cross. I've taught this many a times. Every single person in heaven was an enemy of Jesus Christ. The only one in history who dies for all of his enemies. And so Peter here has struggled, but yet what we see is one of the values we have at Chicago West is authentic and gracious community. That you can be yourself and share where you're honestly at, man. I, I wish I was here, but here's how I'm feeling today. I wish I was doing this, but here's where I'm at right now. You see gracious, authentic and gracious community at work. Look in verse 3. Peter said, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Peter didn't say, do y'all want to go fishing? He said, I'm going fishing. Hey, Peter, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. It's interesting because Nathaniel went with them, and he's from Cana. Cana's like miles inland, so dude ain't even grow up fishing. But I'm going to be with you, Peter. I know you're struggling right now. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you personally treat a group of people who abandoned you and rejected you at your lowest moment? You, my sister, you, my brother, how do you personally treat a group of people who has abandoned you and rejected you at your lowest moment? Let's see what Jesus does. Look at verse 4. And just as day was breaking, as soon as the sun was coming up, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Pause right there. It's first thing in the morning, and Jesus is pursuing them. And he's pursuing them, listen, in the same place that he found them three years ago. And they're doing the same thing they were doing three years ago. Let me say this to somebody this morning. God doesn't have any problem going back to get you from the same place he got you from last time. <laughs> Let me tell somebody here that needs to hear that today. God doesn't have any problem going back to get you from the same place he got you from last time. They're back doing the same thing they were doing three years ago on the same shores he first found them. And he's there as soon as the sun is rising. In fact, that's the Old Testament. God going back to get Israel out of the same foolishness over after over, after over chapter after chapter after chapter. The book of Judges has the same theme. God blesses. They get spoiled with it. They forget him. Everyone does what is evil in their own sight. God gives them over to their enemies. They cry out to him. He sends a judge to deliver them. The land gets rest. 
repeat the cycle. That's the book of Judges. Because God doesn't have any problem going back to get you from the same place he got you from last time. Your friends may get tired going back there, but God's like, nah, I'm going to go right back there. Jesus is back on those seashores. And listen to how he speaks to them, verse 5. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Some of your translations say friends. The Greek word there means child, but it's a word of endearment. And so some translations translate it friends, but the actual word is child. And so ESV translated children. But either way, let's say both. Jesus shows up to the people who rejected him and abandoned him at his lowest moment. Peter, last time Peter looked him in the eyes, he was cursing, saying he didn't know him. And Jesus shows up and says, children, friends, do you have any fish? Did you catch anything? Now, they were up all night, normally on Galilee, and if you fish, you fish at night. And the reason is, if you've been on any ocean, any lake, when the sun is out, it go, you can see through the water very clearly. And so you fish at night because the fish can't see the nets when you drop them in the water. It's easier to catch fish at night, so normally you fish at night. So they're tired. It's early in the morning. Jesus shows up, and he calls them children. Children. Friends. Did you catch anything? Why did he call them children? Why did he call them that? Why did he refer to them as children or friends? I'll tell you why. Because a change in intimacy doesn't mean a change in position. Just because you don't feel my presence doesn't mean your status with me has dropped. You're still a child of God, Peter. You're still precious in my sight. In fact, what you did, I died for I'm not going to talk to you any differently. Now, your friends may talk to you differently. Your parents may talk to you differently. Your church may talk to you differently. Your boss, your siblings, your kids. But your status doesn't change because you failed me. In fact, Scripture says, who or what can separate us from the love of Christ? Not your trials, not your storms, not the attacks from the enemy, and surely not your sin and failure. Let that encourage you. So you may have walked away from Jesus in your lowest moment, but Jesus won't walk away from you. He doesn't ask them, why y'all go back to fishing again? Why are you not out serving? Why would you stop all of a sudden? You just going to reject me, say you don't know me, and go back to fishing? Why y'all doing that? No, he says, children, did you catch anything? Do you see his heart? That ain't just for Peter and the disciples. That's for you, beloved. Please see the heart of God. Please see the eternal love of Christ. When you are walking with God through your failures, sins, and shortcomings, please remember a change in intimacy doesn't mean a change in position. And you may not sense the spirit right now, but you haven't changed in God's sight. But here's the second thing we notice from the text. A moment of failure doesn't remove God's grace. Just because you failed doesn't mean God turns down the volume on his grace towards you. Look at verse uh, 5 again. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered, no. Verse 6, he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. 
So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, John is referring to himself, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. Stop right there. We, we see in his passage, he says, man, cast the net on the other side. And they do it. And they get a massive catch. Jesus blesses them. The people who rejected him, his closest friends, that he gave all of his time pouring into, who rejected him, when he's around them, he blesses them when they went back to doing what they did before. And the blessing is flowing in abundance to the point where it says it was too hard for them to haul it in, verse 6. Scripture talks about the blessings being pressed down, shaken together, running over. See it happening in real time even though they have failed him. Jesus is blessing them not because they deserve it, but because he's just good like that. God's good like two people to be like, man, he's just good like that. Why is he blessing them? Because he's what? Come on, you don't believe that, do you? I know you're in the pit. I know you're struggling. They don't deserve it, but they're blessed right now because he's what? God, I don't deserve it, but you showed up again because what? He's good like that. Why did you forgive me for the fifth, sixth, seventh time after I dropped the ball? Because he's what? Good like that. Why did he provide for you when you ain't been given? You don't tithe. You don't serve. But you still got the promotion. The house still came through. He still, you didn't get what you deserve because he's what? Good like that. That's what they're realizing right here. And we don't understand this kind of love because our thinking about love is so worldly. We don't understand someone giving us gifts or blessings without strings attached. So we don't think that God would do something like that for us. How often do you see companies are like, man, we'll give you $1,000. And you're like, oh, that's great. It's like, if you sign up. Some of y'all are like, that's my job. All right. But in the kingdom of God, my God blesses me and loves me not because I deserve it, but because he's just good like that. And notice when Jesus is like casting that on the other side and they have a big catch. Listen to this. Jesus repeats the same blessing of provision that he did the first time he met them. Hold your finger right there. Turn to Luke chapter 5. I want you to read it. Luke chapter 5. Hold your finger there in John 21. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus first called the disciples. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Again, I'm reading from the ESV. On one occasion, when the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake Gennaraset. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets was breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled the boat, both boats so that they began to sink. 
So much fish, two boats are sinking. Verse 8, but when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish. Verse 10, there also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When Simon first got his calling, it was when God blessed. And now here he is back in the same shores, going back to what he did before. And Jesus shows back up and blesses again like he did the first time. Jesus finds them in the same place that he first caught them, and he blesses them in the same way that he did before. You know why? Because he doesn't change. We do. Scripture says Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, how does Simon Peter, if you were looking in Luke, how does Simon Peter respond to the blessing the first time when Jesus called him? He fell down at his feet, acknowledged his sinfulness. Lord, I'm a sinful man. How does he respond in chapter 21? Look at chapter 21, verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as, Jesus, as soon as Peter heard, it's Jesus. Look, Simon Peter heard it was the Lord. He put on his outer garment for he was stripped for the work and he threw himself in the sea. He jumps in the water and swims to Jesus. It says in verse 8, look, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net uh, full of fish, for they were not far from the land. They were about, listen, a hundred yards off. Peter jumps into the water and swims a hundred yards to Jesus. Any of my sports people know that's an entire NFL football field. This man jumped in the water and swam a football field's length to Jesus. Brothers and sisters, please look at repentance on full display. Turning away from sin and turning back to Jesus. Peter, how repentant is your heart? I will swim to him. Peter doesn't care about the blessings or the provision. He only wants to get back to experiencing intimacy with his Savior. He doesn't say, oh, well, Lord, thank you for blessing me. I'll get back to church. I'll get back to my quiet time with you. I'll get back to fasting and prayer. I'll get back to pursuing you once I stock these fish. He don't even care about the fish no more. Because you mean more to me than that. We just song, this is the air I breathe. Your very presence. Oh, really? Apparently, he also was the only one that got out of the boat. Peter's willingness to get out of the boat not only displays his repentance, but also his hunger for God. See this man's hunger. Deep below that shame, deep below guilt and tears and pain and the pit is a fire that's still burning. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's you right now. You feel like you're stuck, but you know deep inside there's a fire that's still burning. There's a hunger, and your eyes well up with tears, and you're like, Lord, I don't even know how to get back to where we were back there, but I want it. I'm too ashamed to even lift my head right now. I'm too embarrassed to even look in your face, God. I know I haven't, I haven't been walking in your calling towards me, but if I was to tell the truth, there's a, there's a spark here. And how do we know it? Because you wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't. 
You might be on E and the red light of your heart is on saying you need some gas and to be filled up, but you're here. Here's a quote. I have it for you on the screen. Don't allow shame to keep you from pursuing Jesus. Your shame and sin won't keep Jesus from pursuing you. Let me say that again. Don't allow shame to keep you from pursuing Jesus. Your shame and your sin won't keep Jesus from pursuing you. So my question to you again, as you look at this situation and you put yourself here thinking about how the Lord treats you and how he views you, I ask again, how do you or how would you respond to someone who has hurt you and rejected you at your lowest moment? Look at this. Look at verse 9. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net to shore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Let me just stop right there. They rejected Jesus and abandoned him when he was at his lowest point and he cooks them breakfast. There's an aspect of Jesus that I learned over my sabbatical that I had never experienced before. I had never heard no church talk about it. I've never heard a worship team sing about it. I've never heard a pastor preach about it, and I never heard a Christ follower talk to me about it. You may know Jesus as your provider. You may know him as the great healer. You may know him as a deliverer. You may know him as a redeemer. You may sing that he's a miracle worker, a light in the darkness, but do you know him as chef? I'm that serious. Do you know him as chef, the God who cooks you breakfast after you failed him? Do you know that God? The God who cooks you a meal. And it's all through scripture. The night that Judas betrayed Jesus, what was Jesus doing with Judas and the disciples? Eating with them. Sharing a meal. He ate with them. When the 5,000 men were hungry, not including their wives and kids, we're talking about like maybe 10,000 people. And they were weary. It said he had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He took five loaves and two fish. He blessed it. And what did he do? Made a meal for them. Do you know him as chef? The children of Israel, the Hebrews, when he delivered them from slavery, and they got into the wilderness, and they sat there and murmured and murmured and complained day after day after day, what did he do in the desert for them? He cooked them a meal. He gave them manna and quail. So much chicken, he said, you're going to get so tired of it, it's going to come out your nostrils. You ain't going to want Uncle Remus no more. (laughs) And when they got thirsty, he split the rock and gave them something to drink in the wilderness. What did he do for them? Provided. So my question to you is, do you know him as chef? If not, you better get to know him. People ask me, well, Pastor John, what you been doing on sabbatical? Eating breakfast with Jesus. That's what I've been doing. 
Don't even want to lift my head. Feel so embarrassed about the ways I failed him. And he's like, my child, my friend, did you catch anything? Come and have breakfast. Lord, I failed you. I'm in the ditch. Come and have breakfast. The last time that they truly sat down with Jesus, think about this. The last time they truly broke bread with him was the night they all rejected him. That was the last time we really broke bread together, everybody. Was it the night when you, when we took the bread and the wine and we had communion and you said one of y'all is going to betray me and we was all laughing and joking and Peter was like, well, I'll never do that, Lord. And you said, man, Peter, before, before you get a text message and your alarm goes off in the morning, the rooster's going to crow. Before your alarm goes off, you're going to deny me three times. The last time that they truly sat down and ate together was the night they all rejected him and ran on him. He goes to the cross and dies for their sins and then he comes back to them and cooks them a meal and eats with them. Brothers and sisters, please, please see yourself at the dinner table and let what is happening cause you to worship him. If I could just give you a word, we all should be chefs. There's some times this week I'm like, man, Lord, that situation was hard. And the Lord's like, man, cook that person breakfast. Man, Lord, I don't know why she, man, cook her breakfast. Ask her, did she catch anything? Man, I don't know why he, you got that family member, that loved one, whoever. This room should be full of chefs. You know what happens when you get to heaven? The great wedding feast of the Lamb. We all up there busting the grub. We're eating. When walking with God through failure, remember, A change in intimacy doesn't mean a change in position. And a moment of failure doesn't remove God's grace. Listen, our sins and failures never remove God's grace. They only reveal God's grace. Let me say that again. Your sins and your failures never remove God's grace. It's not like he's like, I'm done with her. Our sins and failures don't remove God's grace. It reveals God's grace, and this grace comes in abundance, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Did you catch anything? Come and have breakfast. What was you doing this time, Jesus, after I betrayed you? I got up early in the morning, helped you make a big catch, and I was cooking you breakfast the whole time. Walking with God through failure. Last observation. A loving Savior will restore those who walk with him. So verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had revealed himself, uh, revealed, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Verse 17, he 
said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said it to him the third time. Why is that? Because Peter denied him three times. Do you love me? He said, Lord, lips shaking and everything. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Because Peter denied him three times. And he says in the first time, he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Now, nobody kind of knows what the these are. Jesus clearly pointed to something. Do you love me more than these? It could have been these fish, right? He went back to fishing. Do you love me more than this big catch? Could have been the act of fishing, like, do you love me more than these? Do you want to go back to fishing? It could have been his friends. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Whenever Jesus restores you, he will always ask you, do you love me more than this? When we talked about last week, God wants full devotion. Our sister Ishelle said, you know what you could pray for me for? I'd have everything that I would have a fully surrendered heart. Best prayer you can pray. God, I want to walk with you. That determines everything. Peter, do you really love me more than this? Do you love me more than everything? When we talked about last week how you can be devoted to Jesus, he just don't have to be number one in your life. He could be number 10. Jesus is like, no, do you love me more than everything else on that list? Am I number one or have you left your first love? Now, in the past, Peter always said the right thing. In fact, before he denied Jesus, he said that Jesus was the son of God and Jesus said flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Peter said, oh, yeah, you know I love you. I'll never deny you. He always said the right things. He could quote the verses. He always gave the correct answer, but what we learned from Peter's words and Peter's actions is that saying the right thing and actually doing the right thing can be miles apart. You only know if what you say is real when what you say is tested. So Peter's like, yeah, I'll never deny you. I'll never. Okay, here comes the test. Oh, I'll be faithful, Lord. I'll be faithful. Here comes the test. You failed. I don't look at you any different. Let me cook you breakfast and restore you. Look at Peter's restoration here. Not just the intimacy with the Lord, but look again in verse 15. He says, feed my lambs. Verse 16, he says, tend my sheep. Feed my lambs. The first calling, remember when Jesus first called Peter, he said, I want you to be a fisher of men. I want to teach you to catch these sheep. Now he's like, I want you to feed them. The word of God. Notice the importance on the word, feed my sheep. What is he feeding them? The word. He doesn't just say feed my sheep. He says tend my sheep. That Greek word tend there means to shepherd, to guide, help, take care of. Peter, I want you to catch some fish out here, but I want you to feed them, point them to me. You can't point them to me if you're not walking with me. And if I'm not the most uh, devoted thing, the most devoted person in your life that you are committed to, and then you need to care for them. You need to shepherd them. You need to take care of them because as you learn, sheep like to run off. And then he says for the third time in verse 17, feed my sheep. Notice the importance of God's word that he says it twice. Now, Jesus isn't here to simply bless Peter with fish, 153 of them, and he isn't just here to cook him breakfast and restore intimacy, which is great, but he's here to restore Peter's calling and service. Peter, I I called you to drop your nets on the shore and to serve me. I know you began to sink in doubt, and I know you thought you were stronger than you thought. 
but drop them nets, please. Feed my sheep. Tend and care for my sheep. Feed the flock. Go out. I am restoring you, not just to intimacy with me, but to what I called you to in the first place. Listen to Peter in 1 Peter talking to the church who is suffering. Listen to this, 1 Peter 5. Listen to Peter. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Man, Peter, how can you say that to Christians who are weary after you suffered a little while? Because I know what it was like to be in a pit. And guess who showed up and cooked me breakfast? The God of all grace who has, oh, called you to something. He will what? Restore. How you know, Peter? Because he restores my soul, the psalmist says. He restored me. He confirmed the calling to me when I was questioning it. He strengthened my hands when I was weak and weary, and he reestablished my feet on solid ground. You see Peter's heart? Talking to the church, Proverbs 24, 16 says, For the righteous fall seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. I love it. The righteous falls. Oh, you will fall down, but you will get up. And so verse 18, we continue. Look at verse 18 as we prepare to wrap up. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself, put on your own clothes, you walked wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Jesus says, Peter, there's going to be a day when you are asked to deny me. And the next time it happens, you won't do it because you love me. And guess what, Peter, you will die for it. Now, it doesn't say it in scripture, but we know from church history that both Peter and Paul was executed in Rome under Nero. And church history says, church fathers and historians that have tracked throughout church history says that Peter, when uh, he died, he was crucified. And Peter chose to be crucified upside down. He asked them to crucify him upside down because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same manner of his Savior. That's the end of Peter's life. And Jesus tells Peter, yeah, Peter, I know you say you love me, and I want you to know I know it's real because you used to put on your own clothes, dress yourself, do whatever you want, but there's going to be a time where you're going to stretch out your hands, and someone's going to take you somewhere where you don't want to go, and all you got to do is say, I don't know him, and you won't say it. In fact, you're going to say, this is how I know I know him. Turn me upside down because I can't, I can't go out the way he did. I'm not even worthy of dying that way. And listen to, as we close to Jesus' last words in verse 19, and after saying this, he said to him two words. What does it say there? Follow me. Follow me. Jesus calls Peter again to what he called him to the first time. Follow me. Remember the first calling on the shores? Follow me. What does that mean? Walk with me. That's what I mean by follow me. Peter, walk with me. Follow my lead. This restoration, this is restoration right here, and this is what we talk about when we say following in God and walking with God, the God who restores us in the midst of our failures. A loving Savior will restore those who walk with him. So as we close, can I just ask you, are you walking with Jesus through failure this morning? Do you sit here and you feel like, yo, I feel like a failure. I look good outside to all of y'all, but man, I just, 
It's like, man, the fire was burning back there. I don't even know how I got over here. Be encouraged. Remember, a change in intimacy does not mean a change in position. A moment of failure does not remove God's grace. And a loving Savior will restore those who walk with him. Would you bow your heads with me in a word of prayer? Lord, I just pray right now, would you restore that soul who needs it? Lord, they could bow to you right where they are. They could stretch out their arms right where they are. They could say, Lord, restore me. I feel weak. I feel weary. I don't even know how I got here. I'm back to fishing again. They're doing all the right things. They show up to church. They tithe. They go to group. But inside, they're like, man, I haven't felt that fire like I used to feel when I was walking with him every day. Would you restore them right now? For your name's sake. Lord, you said, you said in your word that when we remain faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. God, you haven't just called our sister Ishel. There's women sitting here. There's men sitting here that know that you have called them the things, but they, they have that thing in front of them that they've been wrestling with. And they don't feel like they can walk with you right now. They confess that they haven't been walking with you. God, we confess we have not been walking with you. We've been doing for you, but we don't know how to be with you. God, we're back to fishing again, but you are the one who shows up on the seashores and says, children, have you caught anything? Come and have breakfast. And so, God, I just pray right now, whatever that looks like, would you restore my brothers and sisters, right where you are, would you just have a moment for yourself? Unless you are perfect in every category and sinless in this moment, don't worry about somebody else. Worry about your heart. What areas are, is God showing you right now that needs to be restored? Where have you gone back fishing, gone back to the old ways, got back into watching that show again, that thing again, laughing at that again, entertaining myself with that again because I've drifted? A change in intimacy does not mean a change in status or position. You have been washed with the blood of Christ. If we, are, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do you need cleansing from right now? Any doubts? Any unbelief? Have that moment. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Sermons. Join us next week.